2: Welcome to a classic big interview. This is where we dig into the vaults and choose an episode from earlier in our shows. This time we've gone all the way back to season 2018-19 and opted for one of our and your absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Do enjoy. Hi there, it's Graham Hunter. Welcome to the big interview. If perchance this happens to be your debut, then welcome to the podcast series that's had millions of listens, dozens of interviews with top class footballers and managers, and which is clinically proven, yes, we can prove it, to help your commute and make your dog walking more enjoyable. In this, I speak to James Milner. Why? Well, I was absolutely sure that James Milner hasn't simply been a pretty extraordinary footballer across half a dozen clubs, but somebody who would be as impressive in person as he is on the pitch, somebody who I knew is dedicated to doing special things away from his footballing time. But above and beyond that, he's a footballer whose craft, whose hard work, whose power, whose sheer naked competitiveness I've always admired. He talks about a great Anfield night against Dortmund and James steadfastly refuses under pretty stern interrogation to give me any inside snout on his penalty technique. James talks about the impressive and to me inspirational work that he's done with, he reached for a name here, the James Milner Foundation. And he also tells us what he learned from Real Madrid. In fact, I think what the squad learned from Real Madrid in last year's Champions League final and why... He thinks Liverpool can get to the final again. A decent bet, I reckon. I'd like to thank everybody at Liverpool for helping set this up. James, for having been so much fun to talk to, and to Matthew Buck. And to you, the big interview listeners, thank you for being there. Now, I think it's right that at Ellen Road, you were a ball boy at one stage.
3: Yeah, we used to, that, that was part of what happened when you're in the academy from, I was at Leeds from 10-11, started ballboying maybe 12-13 on a match day And the theory was to get used to the crowd, be around the pitch, um, things like that And even stupid little things like game management, the guy used to say, take your time if you're winning And something that drives me insane now, but it's part of it
2: well, For some of the people, <laughs> if, if it's oh another yeah, stadium they won't give you the ball you bad. Bad. Yeah. It drives you nuts Yeah, of course it does, yeah can you go back and, and think about those days, that experience, the, the, the noise, what was said. Like you say, if you were told just to say, Okay, you can take a minute or two here or if we're losing, that ball's gotta be back instantly. I remember the jobs we had, like you had to
3: do the Champions League games, you had to do the, the flag in the middle of the pitch and that I didn't do that. I used to collect the balls in from the warm ups so if the keepers had them get the balls in and then run round the side for the start. The one game that stands out for me is uh, AC Milan at Ellen Road, and we scored last minute, and and it was absolutely bouncing it down the whole game. Absolutely drenched. Where are you? Where are you in that? Halfway line, always halfway line in front of the family stand, and the mum and dad had a. uh, Oh, we had two tickets. Pretty much level with that, halfway up the family stand, so I could always turn around like if we scored see them, yeah, quite <laughs> high, But it was absolutely bouncing it down and, and it was at the main stand end and, and Bell you scored and Dida dropped it to his legs last minute, I think it was or last few minutes and I think know. it was eighty nine, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And, because uh, people... The whole place erupted, but it was just one of those, You yeah, absolutely dripping wet through. It was always a fight to get a box. Like, now you see all the ball boys on nice boxes or, like, little seats and stuff. Like that. It was none of that. There was, like, the stewards' ones. And if you were lucky, there was a spare one. And you got one. If not, you were sat on the floor. And...
2: it was, a, for those who don't remember, the big Brazilian who played internationally for a long time and stuck at Milan for a long time. And I'd have said might have been in goal for Milan the night of the Liverpool victory. That's my memory. that He was in Istanbul... And therefore, like, but that, to, to be on the, not just a ball, but you kind of just one step away from being on the pitch that night, it must have felt like. Yeah, I mean, that
3: was, that was part of it, was to get used to the the atmosphere and the ground and, and those sorts of nights. But also, I think, to that step again, being in front of that crowd and, and being part of, you felt a bit more of a part of it than you would be if you're just in the stand watching the game, for sure.
2: Of course. Um, I'm not intimidated because some boys 11, 12, 13, 14 c- c- might find that Yeah
3: they've been a bit older at that point as well but yeah it was and um, I mean some great things like just being in the dress like in the room where the ball boys was around the tunnel and you can see the players walking through I remember we played I was in Wimbledon or something like Sam McMahon was, uh, was chairman, chairman of the away team and he come down and he pulled out the biggest wad of cash I've ever seen in my life and just started giving it out to lads, say, like, oh, go get yourself a hamburger or whatever, and just stuff like that. It was, like, unbelievable. unbelievable. You, just, yeah, just you've never seen stories. that? Never thought yeah, that yeah exactly. And
2: it was just little things like that. It just like... I've done my research. So you were that night. As they say in um, Dad's Army, you have been watching Nigel Martin, Gary Kelly, Ian Hart, Danny Mills, Dominic Matteo, uh, Michael Dubry, Oli Dacourt, Lee Boyer, Eric Baca, Michael Bridges, the mighty Alan Smith, manager David O'Leary, and um, Dida, Thomas Helvick, Paolo Maldini, Costa Curta, oh, Jose Antonio Shamot, tough defender, uh, Francisco Coco, ended up at Pasone for our Dimitri Albertino in the legends of modern Italian football, uh, Giunti, uh, Julian Pietro, Shevchenko, Bierhoff, I mean, absolutely remarkable. But the fact that you had their measure um, fitted in with that season that you were watching the team that you loved, it's... That's I suppose your team To this day Playing Besiktas Playing Barcelona Playing Real Madrid Winning Okay I guess You didn't go to Rome To see the, the, the Lazio victory Did you ever Did you travel much With Leeds Never No Was, was that a, an, a, a cost thing Or
3: um, It was just something uh, We went to Wembley Got to Wembley Went to the Carling Well Carling Cup final What was it Coca-Cola Cup final Then when Leeds Left to Villa uh, 3-0 Unfortunately mm mm-hmm. Went to watch guys like Wembley in the uh, FA Vars or something like that. They lost as well. So I didn't have a good record as a fan at Wembley. Went mm. to watch Leeds in the playoff final.
2: Um, lost again. So my record as a fan at Wembley isn't great. Gary Mack, we once had a, a big interview with Gary Mack, and he, he used this phrase about when the town is behind you. He talked about like that championship winning season under Wilkinson and he talked about the, the special feeling in that city when everybody believes and everybody's on it and the power of that. And for a man of his football gifts, because he really is a gifted footballer, and a successful man um, here as well as at Leeds, to talk about the impact of fan power and the city being behind you and a one-club city as well. Are these themes you you recognise?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think um, I remember Leeds winning the title when I was only young I was probably five um, watch the videos over and over as I was growing up. My dad jumping around the living room, women his arms, saying, uh, uh, Don't forget this, it might not happen again in your lifetime. And at that age, you're like, And it might be right, but hopefully not. But yeah, I think when they're in the Champions League that year, just the momentum and you know on paper you look at the, the team some very good players and probably an unknown quantity around Europe you know like you say some of the teams I played that was the year where there was two groups in the Champions League that's I think right. and like you say you play Barcelona Real Madrid uh, Milan um, well, beat Deportivo in the quarterfinal. final yeah. Yeah. so to the, the, the beat the teams they did it was just that momentum and I think they were a very good team but it was the momentum of this, the side people playing well Lee Boyer was incredible goal scoring midfielder did Alan Smith get a hat trick at Anderlecht? I'm Not sure if he got. They scored a few at Andelect, I remember that was another wet night away, and that's a four-one away. Isn't yeah, it? and that's obviously not an easy place to go either. So you look at the, the teams that the, the beat uh, and played. Um, it was like you say that momentum and the belief and, and the, the noise and similar sort of thing, you know, at, at Liverpool as well. Once you know the the, the the crowd and and that bus bus journey into Anfield when when those European nights and things like that it's the same sort of thing again and that wave and the two European runs we've had in the Europa and, and the Champions League that again was a similar sort of feeling that wave and that momentum and, and the fans having a
2: massive part of that run you, I know you're not just saying that but because we fans would like to feel that there's that something of the passion and noise, noise that we generate in my case for Aberdeen that it reaches sometimes or that, and often players in this series will say, you know, I'm never intimidated. But sometimes if the legs are going or if we know we're up against it, then a bit... In modern uh, British football, more than I think when I was growing up, that sometimes that journey to the stadium, particularly in this city, has become a bit mythical. We'll describe it a little bit. and Also, I think we're used to professional footballers now saying, well, I'm all about shutting it out. Or I'm all but focused and we've got big headphones on with mad, stupid music in it. What do you notice and why do you notice that trip to the stadium?
3: I think on the way to the ground, um, obviously some people do everything, but it's different. Some lads are listening to music. Some of us like might be playing a game or whatever, we went through a phase of playing a, a, a golf game on our phones together just to get, you know, the competitive juices flowing, a bit of banter. And, you know, you don't want to just sit there doing nothing. I don't want anyway. And obviously looking out at the the wind and stuff like that and you get to the ground and it stops and you see the 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 lines of people and people on shoulders singing songs the noise yeah it's just it's people banging on the bus it's that atmosphere before you even get there it's like you're you're in the 88th minute and you're winning and it's before you even started and um the other time we had that was semi-final with newcastle at, at cardiff um Against United, and I think at Cardiff, you come in two separate ways. So that was one, our way in was just black and white black shirts and white. all the way, people hanging off lampposts, stuff like that. And it's amazing, yeah. It's, you can only experience that. The only other thing you can compare it to, really, is a, a parade, you know, when you've won a trophy, yeah. really. And that's the only other thing. I think once you're on the pitch, it's different. You can hear the background noise, you know, it's never going to. If, I can only speak personally it doesn't affect you or anything like that if you're away from home and it's hostile I love that that's what you want it's exactly what you want to play in as a player because it gee's you up yeah for sure and you want to shut them up and there's nothing better than that silence when you score an away goal and there's that moment where the ball hits the back of the net and it's dead silence even for the away fans and then the roar goes up and you know it normally sounds like a distant roar because it's the away fans and and I don't think it'd ever affect me and you want the those, but there's times in the game. It normally coincides when the team's playing well. You get the raw, every press, every tackle. Someone wins a tackle or a header, and there's that raw goes up. You don't get that generally on a game where you're comfortably winning, or it's even a Saturday morning. It's not a so-called big game. Mm-hmm. You don't get that for a tackle or a header or those little things. You'll get it for a goal, but that's about it. And that's the difference. And in the big games, and when the team's playing well, you know, in the games which are a so-called big games for the team to lift the crowd by their
2: performance as well isn't that a bit magical that that, that connection can happen between forty, fifty thousand 50,000 people who they're cordoned off they're up there you're down there you're doing a job but s- sometimes it all just goes together like, yeah for sure it's kind of think magical
3: yeah I think so because that's you know them doing their so called job or enjoying themselves but it's down for us to put in that performance and make them believe as well and one of the best nights at Anfield that I think as well everyone will say the city and things like that but and um, The Dortmund game yeah, It was just one of those Where You know We look down and out There's no way you're Coming back They're a very Very good team And then you get One or the odd goal And then you get A bit of belief In the ground And then the next And then obviously The way we sc- scored The last goal Cop end
2: and, and the old Roof comes off And it is just What stage did you Kind of know Because the, you could See the balance Because they scored Two early goals didn't they? Mm. To go I think Maybe 3-1 up On Ag So very similar to United and Turin in '99, except for away and a different atmosphere. But like you could see something was happening. Was that that Tuchel's Dortmund?
3: Yeah, I think it was. I think so. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I saw that night when I was watching it, and I felt that I'd been seeing a, a difference in the power. And the energy of how Liverpool were playing And on that night I felt the balance is is turning Or it's the way it looked But often as a spectator You can be wrong Did you feel it? I think once we it?
3: got that goal Second half Was it Philly who scored one And we needed a couple more From that point Once you got the first one You think there might be a chance there And I think that season We were playing in sort of bursts if you like we'd have a couple of games where we played really well the tempo was really high we had the pressing off to a tee. our attacking play was good might concede the odd goal but then we'd have a couple of games where it was like a completely different team and I think you can see how we've improved since then that consistency is there and if you watch us nine times out of ten you know it's Liverpool playing the way we play and stuff like that absolutely but, I think at that moment in time we weren't quite there. I think the Gaffer's first season won it, so he'd only been there four months at that point, something like that. Um, but to get that goal second half and then the fans believing again and you get that roar and from that moment on it's just about digging. in I think we got one more. And then obviously the last goal was, yeah, I mean it was a, a risky one really to go short. Studge had, Studge had made that run and sorry, yeah, Studge,
2: Sturridge Okay, okay, Studge is good because you set up two that night. You set up, you shovel it to Coutinho for for the three-two goal. Yeah, and then um you set up Lovren.
3: Yeah, that was the last one. So we had a free kick around the halfway line, I think, and um, was just going to knock it in. And Studge made a run along the line and knocked it down the line short to him, Um and he had his back to play. So I got it back to me and dinked it back past. Really, it was it was good because we worked on that. If you if it's if it's not the short free kick but when you get to the byline on a second phase on a free kick pull off back post so we've done it sort of in training and when something comes off like that but the manager since then's always said you know always look for the short ones like one of our biggest free kicks or set players we've had since he's been at the club and we went short and maybe it's something we could do a bit more but you know, it's, it's one of those things. If I knock it short to Studge and he can't find a way to get it back to me, or he's too, and they run down to the other end, just game over. And everyone's "Why didn't you put it in the box?" And it's just one of those things. But why we love football, but, it's, yeah. Don't, both ways, don't and, you love risk? Because of course, yeah. And it's one one of those. If, if that's my job in that situation, taking the free kick and the responsibilities take, I suppose. But if I knock it short and it gets cut out and the game's over, everyone's, "Why didn't you put it in the box?" But as it turns out it was a good decision so as many times as that comes off you know you could probably do it another 8 or 9 times and it wouldn't work like that you don't score on people so why that you put it
2: in the box but. but how many times have you had that bill to pay in your career where really big split second decisions have not gone well and you've had to carry the can not, not, not too often
3: not loads and loads but hopefully that's why you, you try and learn from mistakes and things like that and, and, and as a set piece taker or poor deliveries or penalty takers as well missing penalties it's part and parcel of the job unfortunately you have to I believe you have to be willing to miss really you have yeah. to be prepared to miss a penalty to take it and, and have the confidence in yourself that you've practised enough and, and know what you're going to do but you know, some people won't want to take penalties because of that fear of missing, and that's mm-hmm. why they don't want to take instead of thinking about the other side. But, you know, I think I've been around long enough and taking that responsibility, that's all part of it, really.
2: Didn't you play and score in that mad under 21 shootout?
3: Yes, took twice, actually. We we, we played, um, it was Holland, wasn't it? And yeah. um, I'd scored my first one. Mark Noble stood next to in line, he'd scored his. And it got to about seven or eight, and I was like, no, we might have to take again here because obviously in a shootout it's not nice. It's horrible sort of thing to do, even when you're taking it. Nobody enjoys really taking penalties in a shootout. Honestly, uh, would you? It's, it's yeah. It's 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 a uh, no-win situation as a player, in it really as a keeper you can be the hero if you miss a penalty. You're the villain, and if you score, you're expected to score. So you'll always take that responsibility and I'm going to be the guy to score the goal but I wouldn't have said there's many people who enjoy the actual oh yes we've gone to penalties
2: here well I, I okay I'll grant you um, I know PK quite well and in the past he's told me that during the World Cup final against Holland again he said my legs were actually shaking and I was crapping myself that we were going to penalties please God not penalties and he has to what he does. but like once the penalties are there
3: yeah, for sure. When you're putting it on the spot and you're up there and I'm going to score this, that's that's not the point. But I think if you ask many players would they enjoy a shootout, no one will enjoy it because even if you don't do your job, like that was me and Nobles just stood there and we've taken us Apparently, scored That relief, yeah, we, we've scored. But then your mates have still got to do their job and if they miss, you still feel as bad as you would if you missed it and you've still lost. So there's an element of it not being in your control. If you're playing a game in 90 minutes, you can run and make that tackle. You can run and make that pass, you can make the run into the box, you can affect it, penalty shoot, I'm still on the line on the halfway line. Once I've scored my penalty or taken my penalty or missed my penalty, there's nothing else I can do at that point. So. That
2: feeling of it being out of your control is Yeah, exactly, is, is which is, is like,
3: there's nothing worse than being left out of the team or being suspended or injured and watching your team play. is a horrific feeling because you can't do anything for your teammates.
2: But they're telling too much to keepers, what kind of things are going through your mind at, you know, elf meter. the Germans call it, 11 meters out? I just met
3: my decision. Unless the keeper goes silly early I make my decision and, and go with that And if the keeper moves very early Then I might
2: So you don't look Or you kind of look Sort of yeah Have you got peripheral vision Is that what Yeah So do you, do you need to look at the ball When you take it Everyone's different really Yeah Everyone's different Am I into secret territory here a little bit <laughs> Yeah I don't want to give too much away so
3: Everyone's <laughs> different Some players look at the ball Okay let's find a middle ground.
2: ground Let's find a middle ground yeah. Have you been watching Sergio Ramos recently He's Penenka Panenka, Panenka. So he's done two Panenka's building up to last weekend um, away to Celta Vigo. Just got a new manager in. Panenka, the original Panenka does an interview in Spain and the front page of the daily newspaper that morning is Sergio Ramos could be the nearest thing to Panenka since Panenka says Panenka and it's a penalty and his last two penalties have been chipped and he goes up against the keeper chips him and the keeper's can't help but go but as he's going down he's flapping at the air like a cat at a pigeon because he he's going oh I knew I knew I knew I knew have you penankered would you penanker is that a verb I
3: go down the, <laughs> I go down the middle but I don't necessarily think. Oh. Uh, pa- no I pass it down the middle so I've been down the middle a few times but um, just pass it I don't really see the need to dink it or penanker it or hello all, hello say. keep I oh, no sorry for
2: <laughs> <you>. hello <laughs> all keepers not all of this information has been true <laughs> you can't outguess him
3: now I try and mix mine up so if you looked at my record of penalties you'd find them in both corners and down the middle so. is the
2: most better sweep penalty at, um, against Manchester United for Villa
3: yeah probably Yeah, because that, that's yeah. red card all day long isn't yeah, it yeah and that's one memory you have the early penalty should have been a red wasn't and
2: then obviously it's a, a cup final. The pressure of taking a penalty, scored it, and scored and, it uh, like absolutely beautifully. Angled your run, put it exactly the way that it was supposed to go, and the keeper goes the other way. And when you look back on it, you kind of go, "Why did it go that way?" Because I'm running.
3: He'd have watched me. I'd taken a few in the in the games before, and they'd all been the other right side. Yeah, so that was why, really. So um, I'm sure he'd have done my, his homework and and gone with that. But then you know, to be one 0 up anyway, he'd like to think that you can go on and win it. It didn't happen, but. There is obviously that bitterness that if it it was a red card, really, if, if the red card had been given, then.
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
2: made his debut in what's the Paraguayan Classical the other day and scored aged 14. So that little Champions League thing when you were on the verge of breaking through but just about two years short, um, retrospectively, could you have been ready at 14 to play elite football or top division football?
3: It's hard to say, isn't it? I think obviously... It's more the physicality really mm-hmm. I'd say at that age and you look at some players at 14 they are developed a lot quicker than others so mm. if they are ready and they've got the football ability and the football brain, why not? Could you have? <sighs> I have no idea. I think looking back now 16 was ridiculously young really and I wasn't allowed to play in the Europa or the UEFA Cup game because UEFA said I was too young. So I, got, I wasn't allowed you know to play No, yeah, it was... I didn't even know I was in the running, really. I was in the reserves and stuff like that, and my mum was in town, I think, and she seen on a headline, Milner banned by UEFA. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the... Honest my mum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she was like, what's all this about? And you read the story, and it was basically that you had to have played for your team for two years since your 16th birthday or some madness like that, so I couldn't play that game anyway. And then I made my debut for the first team maybe about six weeks after that or something like that. But, um, yeah, that was... I think back now I think how ridiculously young I was but at that time you just eye on the prize, keep head down and focused and thinking now you're thinking all my, all my school mates who I'd been in the classroom with four or five months before, a lot of them would have probably been in the ground watching. Miss score against Chelsea or whatever, and and you know proud thinking about that. But at the time, it's just games, and and, and this is what I want to do, and you don't really realise. You you're just concentrating on doing what you do. Confidence
2: of youth as well, I guess. Eh?
3: Yeah, I think so, and and it's one of those you you don't know all the mistakes that you know now, or the the, the yeah. cynical things and things like that, which is which is just nice. Yeah, I haven't got just that to well. sort of cloud your judgment, of you? it?
2: In that run, um, when you your team. Although you weren't playing uh, Thrash Deportivo La Coruña on the bench that night, was a certain Joanne Capdevila who links us, because out of the blue, um, just ahead of the summer, I got a phone call from Owen Hargreaves, who I'd met as part of Michael Carrick's testimony. He said, "Listen, i really want to support James and his foundation and the match with Stalin Petrov." Um, but my knees. Have you got anybody? Could you find? So I, I was thrilled to, to get the chance to support, and Joanne Capdevila came over and. I think got six or seven. I can't remember how. Joanne got a couple of goals. Didn't got two, yeah. kid and had the time of his life. Uh, yeah. um, tell us about the game, uh, but also tell us about bloodwise. Tell us about your work with the children's charities. It, effectively, try to give me a feeling for um, why all this has become quite so consuming, quite so important to you. Because y- you do an extraordinary amount of work, and what's clear is. It's a passion of both for you and your wife, and it's successful. It's growing.
3: Yeah, hopefully, I think um, you know it's our seventh year of the James Milner Foundation. Um, this year was the first game that we had with Stillian uh, Petrov's Foundation and the Celtic Foundation at uh, Celtic Park, and, and put the match on and raised a good amount for the charities. Split the three ways. Um, so between, one, uh, so it was uh, the James Milner Foundation, Stillian Petrov's Foundation, and the Celtic Foundation. Okay. So the James Miller Foundation, when we set it up, um, NSPCC, we support and always have done. Uh, Help for Heroes. NSPCC, I've been an ambassador since I was 18. At Newcastle, right? Uh, yeah, that's when it first started, yeah. yeah. Help for Heroes was a charity we supported with the England Foundation and met some people and, and servicemen and women and, and uh, spoke to them and seen their stories, so it was one we wanted to support. And then at that time, just as we were launching the foundation, stillian yeah. obviously found out, unfortunately, that he had leukemia. So that was obviously tough and him going through that so we added the third one which was um, leukemia at that time now it's blood wise um, was added Um, so we have a charity ball every year we've had one golf day which was more an awareness raiser but since then we've had a charity ball um, each year and we've actually got ours on the 25th of November which is this Sunday uh, this year um, we're up to about nearly 700 people going. Fantastic. Um, Gary Barlow's performing this year. So, uh, people have the age, uh, we've had JLS, uh, Kaiser Chiefs, um, people out. So, the acts are amazing that we've had. And this year, we've added um, the Motor Neurons Disease Association um, because of obviously, unfortunately, Stephen Darby, Um is uh, someone who's looked after by Matthew Buck my agent and, and obviously met him a few times before mm-hmm. I speak to his wife Steph who's they've only been married a few a few uh, months Steph out and who's at Liverpool uh, Man City in mm-hmm.
2: uh, England women's captain um, Dodie Weir the Scotland International too Scotland Rugby International is more than you are and, and is, is working hard to raise both funds and awareness too so
3: yeah I mean it's a terrible terrible disease and um you know any help they can get and I think raising awareness most people think it's it's a disease which is just for older people and you know, Dabs is only a young guy and um, you know it's it's hard work doing the, the, the balls every single year, it's like getting married really in a way every year and doing the table <laughs> plan and sorting all those sorts of things and well, you've got to keep them away from them and keep the lads away from the <laughs> manager's table in case they want a slide drink and things like that but when you speak to the people at the charity and you go visit the charity and, and you see where the money's going and people it's helping, and the some accounts, going to for stuff. example, yeah, research for Bloodwise, yeah, and um, it's it's massive, really, and, and it makes it all
2: worthwhile. And you want to help as much as you can. Why is it so important that um, people like you? I mean, many people like you, Michael Carrick's involved who need to be investing so much time and money into a community to stop kids suffering from deprivation, not eating properly, not having sport to motivate them, going down the wrong path. What, why is that necessary?
3: It was a conversation seven years ago between myself, Matt, and Amy, who's now my wife, and, and Matthew, my agent, and it was... You know, what can we do to help? I think we're very fortunate to play football. We know that. I've been lucky enough to play since 2002 professionally. It's a long time. Football's been good to me. I do something I love and I get paid well. And you're well known for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have an image, you have people coming up to you and, and saying nice things and bad things. And you're always in the, in the, in the spotlight, whatever you're doing. Um, sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it's not you know you, you might want a quiet day with your family but you can't always have that and 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 that is what we can use to to help really and, and use that as a positive side and, and give back as much as we can and, and help these various various uh, charities that we support and other initiatives as well like the, the Liverpool Foundation we've teamed up with them and put on the camps for the kids and football and like we've spoke about football today and your obvious love for the game and, mm. and that romantic side, I think that's what's not only football, but sport can do. Mm. And when people are having tough times in their life, you know, you go out on that football field for 90 minutes or whether you're a fan or whatever and you see how much it means to so many people. With all these other bad things that are going on, sport brings people together and, and football brings people together and 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 helps on that other side and, and people who football is the number one thing in their life. No matter what's going on in their life, they can go back to football and take their mind off the, the things that they're going through.
2: And it's about drive and self respect and personal fitness and achieving things. We watched some of the extraordinary things you did with ex servicemen who've been injured, who who, you know, couldn't function and sport has given them just a new adrenaline a new self-confidence
3: a a, a lot of them feel like once they've had the injury their purpose has gone and things like that and it's not only them it's their families and and friends who are going through all that with them this person who might have changed physically but mentally as well and they have to see them go through that so these people are highly driven individuals they had a a big purpose in the arm or, or or in the services or whatever they're doing and they have an injury whether it's physical or mental and they feel that's taken away from them and they don't feel the same sort of person so then to realign their goals and use sport or, or physical activity to give them a new goal and drive and purpose is massive and um, you know these we're lucky enough to be called heroes at times mm-hmm. and people that are heroes football heroes whatever but we're going out and kicking a ball about these guys are going out and, and keeping us safe and, and putting the lives on there
2: I can't leave this chapter of the chat without it's because on, on your website there's brilliant footage of the women's deaf team who aren't going to be able to go and compete until you raise a or you give them invest in them a significant sum of money and they go out there and win a medal and there's footage of them scoring brilliant goals and the joy as well Bring it back to football as well because not all the projects that you can invest in need to have anything to do with football well, that one did and, and they come back with what bronze?
3: yeah I think it is it's it was one of the a, a quick thing it was we obviously raise funds throughout the year and they go to the charities and we leave some in case something like that comes up really and you know they were basically saying we've done all this hard work we've made these sacrifices, but if we don't raise this money, we're not going so for us to be able to do that that's exactly what it's there to do I think and that's another a great story of why we do it and they went out there and did the business and we had them back at the the ball the next year and they had the medals with them and things like that so it was great to see them
2: and the success that they had pretty sensational now um, our sponsors um, are Bet365 for this and they've sent in a couple of quick questions for you so these are quick fire and less romantic right would you like to return to Leeds at some point in your career (laughs)
3: I get that so many times every time I I, I see a Leeds fan I'd never say never I obviously love my time there Um, you know nobody knows what's going to happen in football in the next year two years three years four years hopefully I can play as long as possible but um, it's a club I love it's a club I I love seeing them do well this year Bielsa football and they deserve to be back in the Premier League so anyone who doesn't have a blue bucket in Leeds needs to go out and get one
2: absolutely fantastic your favourite type of T, Yorkshire or PG? (laughs) Yorkshire if you can play in midfield alongside one player past or present who would it be? Zidane's
3: a great shout David Silva's a great shout Stevie G's a great shout if it's midfield and there's two of us in there I'd probably have to say Stevie G just as an all round
2: player he could do absolutely everything pretty solid safe answer in your surroundings as well I'd have to (laughs) say when you hear the term Mr. Consistent who's the first player you think of? Probably Gareth Barry. Is it true and I know the answer to this is yes I don't mean to cheat by giving you your answers before. Is it true you could have played professional cricket? <laughs> I
3: wouldn't say professional I played for Yorkshire when I was 11 as a wicketkeeper but that's a long way off Do you know perfect. you set a
2: new record it's unbelievable because we sat down with Phil Neville who's sort of a bit and he talked about how Neville, his dad, and his mum had approved him playing in professional Lancashire League cricket against Otis Gibson, I think he went on, who's West Indian international, went on to be bowling coach for England as well, age 14, and I think he said without a helmet as well. I'm fairly sure. Phil, did you say without a helmet as well? So you've set a new... Uh, playing 11 is... 11-12. Is, is I played co- is one game
3: a couple of years up, and it was... Uh... Tim Bresnan was bowling, so that's my claim
2: to fame in the cricket world. So that's a definite yes to that question, although you didn't use the word yourself. No. From my point of view, oh, it's a yes. Okay. Good answer. And the last of these, I didn't write this one, okay? And I've avoided this subject the whole time, because you must be sick of it. Who's the most boring player at Liverpool?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I've got one in my head, but I'm going to have to say me. My <laughs> mate. No,
2: no. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a, that's a body show sure I've ever saw on <sighs> Nah, I can't do it to him I can't do it OK I'll have to say no comment We finish on this We finish on this um, I'd rather be looking ahead To positive things Because I have quite widely Tipped Liverpool In my opinion As very prominent um, Chances to win The Champions League This season Because I see progression I see experience I've seen it in groups Of players before That when you go the course very often it it, it brings a maturity and a desire, a learning that takes you onwards. Rather than pinpoint that, because there's two quite interesting games coming up, what do you and what has the group taken from that final last season? Because getting there was stupendous. Um, It was an extraordinary watch from a distance, some brilliant football, lots of passion. And then what seemed like a jinx night, more or less. But you haven't come this far in your life for your career without drawing something from pain. So what do you take from that experience? You take pain from it, like you said. That's one that... That and the Europa League
3: for me is two massive regrets and disappointments in my career. Um, but you take from that the drive and wanting to put that right and go again. I think the team belief that they should have taken from that the experience you know you say you have experienced players and players who have won trophies and stuff like that but it's different when you go into another team and, and you're in it together so getting to finals as a group of players together with that manager and as a as group of players that can only stand you in good stead I think again the belief of the teams would beat along the way mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that wasn't the problem um, before even, you know, like I said, before we were played in phases and I think over the last three years you've seen us develop be more consistent and we always felt like on a night, one night we could beat anyone yeah. uh, on our day. But I think even this season, you know, we've got our results, a couple of poor results but mostly played pretty well but not like we know we can and I think few people have said that and we have got another gear which is the pleasing side and and maybe a steely toughness that we've added to our to our game that we can get those results from mm you know you're not quite playing at your top level and it's a long long season we know that so coming into this period now December with all these games coming up the league table always looks a lot different before and after and um, you know I think we're looking as is it the most successful start to a Premier League season or joint or something like that to be in that position and people still looking at a season and us within the dressing room think well we can improve there we can improve this we can do this better that's a Massive, massive thing to have. I think if you're in the position we're in and you've had a great start to the season, but you know, you're playing as well as you can be, you know, where, where do you go from that? So mm-hmm. I think the fact that we know we can improve is very, very positive and something that we want to keep doing on this journey that we've been on. And hopefully, we can keep progressing like we have done over the two or three years since the manager's been here. What
2: did you see in did that night? Let's take the Ramos, Salah, out of it and forget it, and, and let's leave the keeper out of it. What did you see in them?
3: That experience and knowing how to win, I think that that was that was what people were talking about before. That experience of being at finals, but and you know, arguably, maybe we've taken some of that and, and put it into ourselves the start of this season. Mm. Find a way to win. Yeah, you know, things aren't going well. You know, I think first twenty-five minutes, half an hour, whatever. I think I think we were probably the better team. I think when we got the equaliser our tails were up we were pressing all over the field you know I think at that moment in time if you asked me who was going to win and I said us and then obviously there's a moment of brilliance arguably one of the greatest goals in Europe European final ever I would I would say being yeah, biased. It's an extraordinary. Uh, the fact it didn't get anywhere in the voting for can you understand goal, that and, uh, I mean obviously people who are doing it don't understand football but you know Ronaldo's bicycle kick was amazing as well but I think you put into it the context in a so final to, to, to change the
2: game of a European final to do that having just come off the bench to, to even just have it because the, you know there's no element to, a, to, to,
3: to attempt at it yeah. to, to, to to reckon, I know it.
2: what Marcelo's yeah. going to do I know what I can do with it I mean it's, it's yeah, I mean you've got a half a second to decide to do it yeah.
3: and then do it and then from that point obviously there's only one team that looked like to win it unfortunately and, and I think we can take a lot from the fact that to go down in a final like that and keep keep going mm. and, and get back into the game it says a lot about our side as well but from their side it shows that experience that that know-how and, and, and winning trophies and being used to it and I think, wait, we, we just need to get over the line in one ear you've seen the teams progressing we've seen them yeah. getting better and better I yeah. think when I was at City the first one was important, the FA Cup once we had that, you had that belief we, we know we can win trophies and
2: you know you go on to win the the league the next year and um, I'll leave you on that because you have to train this afternoon I could go on for a long time because this is you know this is an extraordinary pleasure for me maybe less so for you but for me (laughs) extraordinary before your story at Liverpool ends out that you're lifting a trophy and enjoying doing so thank you very much thank you